This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and this week's episode, we're talking, ooh, we're going deep, everybody. We're talking about the biblical theology of chat. Uh, and we're looking at conversational prayer with kids and like, where do we get that in the Bible? Because uh, I know we talk a lot about helping our kids chat with God and connect with God, but like, where do we pull it theologically? So uh, we're going to talk about that for very, you know, seven minutes or something. Don't, don't worry. Uh, we're going to talk uh, a question that uh, has been asked about how do you get your kid to listen to Bible stories? Uh, and we have a great interview with a, a friend of ours called Fuzzdix, who uh, she is uh, bringing a really interesting stuff around building trust and so we're gonna look at that and as always a question to start an interesting conversation with your kid so I just want to say I'm not sure if I mentioned this before but um my latest book came out uh it I know (laughs) every time I sing I think I can just feel my team like dropping their heads I'm sorry guys I love you uh Uh, My new book came out. It's called Parenting as a Church Leader, uh, Helping Our Families Thrive. And uh, this really is for uh, church leaders, those who are in church leadership within churches, and uh, and just looking at the unique parenting context that we're in. How do you parent while everyone's watching and have your... uh, have your work in your home and your home and your work and all of that stuff. So uh, if you're interested in that, the book is now out uh, called Parenting as a Church Leader. Uh, I'm looking at it now. Yes, Parenting as a Church Leader, Helping Your Family Thrive. So uh, that's there. But first, let's talk about chat. Um, It's Theology Day. Put on your theology hats. I was about to say theology pants, but (laughs) I I don't think that's a thing, but neither is a theology hat, so... Never mind. Uh, Chat, uh, when we talk about chat, uh, chat is a way of facilitating your kids to authentically and genuinely share their heart with God through prayer in a way that works for them. It puts kids and God together uh, without making parents the motivator or monitor of their children's prayer life. Uh, Chat is simply encouraging your kids that there is no one right way to connect with God. You can talk about big things or small things for a long time or short, and there's no wrong way to share your heart with God. Uh, And I, as a parent, don't need to hear what you say to God because it's between you two. So if if chat is new to you, uh, feel free to look online at the Parenting for Faith or website to find out more about it through the cubes. I just almost knocked over my drink. Uh, through the key tools page or the free course, uh, it'll show you how to help kids chat to God in a way that releases them and helps them form a long-lasting connection with God. But I uh, wanted to take just a minute to look what the Bible says about prayer so you can feel, um, I guess, theologically a bit deeper when it comes to chatting to God for yourself and helping your kids to do it too. Many times when we talk about prayer, our first stop in the sort of biblical tour is uh, when Jesus uh, was answering a question to his disciples about prayer. They said, how should we pray? And he did the Lord's Prayer that we we quote so often, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, all of that. Um, And that's what we get. But this isn't the only time we learn about prayer in scripture. And our approach to chatting is found 
within all of scripture as well. Uh, and I just want to give you a little brief moment and insight into some of these places that we can pull this sort of conversational, wholehearted, no formula prayer. Um, in Exodus thirty three eleven, the author uh, who's writing describes God's relationship with Moses as face to face, as a man speaks to his friend, the Bible says. And this is how Moses spoke to God and significantly how God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend. In Parenting for Faith, we call this kind of back and forth with God chatting and catching, and there's more on helping our children to perceive God's communications with them in the books and the course. But I just want us to pause here for a moment to chew on this verse. God would meet regularly with Moses, and their communication with each other was likened to a friendship. Enabling our children to have that closeness with God is incredibly significant. Having a friendship with God that doesn't... Having a friendship with God doesn't diminish God. Um, so sometimes we um, can get nervous that, well, if we just tell kids that they can tell jokes to God, doesn't that mean it's disrespectful to God? Or doesn't it mean that we're not sort of uh, fearing the Lord or being in awe of him? But when I look at this, Moses was never in danger of thinking that God wasn't holy or powerful or majestic or wonderful. Having a friendship with God doesn't diminish God in our eyes or make our children respect or honor him less. Moses had this face-to-face with God and was in deep awe and fear and respect of him, but also had this intimate face-to-face, heart-to-heart connection. Moses was very aware of God and and also had this special tent where they connected face to face and talked as a friend. I think it's awesome. What a gift for our kids to know that the God who is so awesome and powerful and mighty and wonderful also cares about how they feel about those small things in life and wants to have a friendship with them in that way. I think that's a beautiful thing to give to our kids. The Psalms are full of people chatting to God, an open, messy expression of heart. From uh, chapter 6, verse 3, heal me, O Lord, for my body is in terror, to wanting God to smush enemies. (laughs) The Psalms are a sometimes beautiful, sometimes really awkward cacophony of people wholeheartedly expressing their pain and joy and hope and despair to God. They are chatting, a no-holds-barred open communication with God. Our kids need that. Our teens need that. I need that. To be able to, uncensored with no performance, be able to tell God everything. From the plot of their favorite television program to the deep fears of returning to school in a pandemic, God isn't saying to his children, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you didn't use the right prayer formula. Uh, God isn't saying, whoa, hold on, you forgot to say sorry for something before you started talking. God wants to hear it all. If prayer is talking to God, then we also can move into the Gospels to learn about this. All of the Gospels then teach us about prayer. Because every time someone talks to Jesus, they were technically praying in some way. From the disciples discussing who would be greater in the kingdom, to them laughing and chatting on the road, to their deep questioning and confusion, to being seen and known and loved by Jesus, even in their false and sinful states. It was all life with God in the form of Jesus in the ordinary, woven into life. They talked to him when walking and eating about huge theological questions and personal fears and about nothing important 
at all. Our children and teens need this kind of all-day, everyday access to God woven into the boring bits of life. If they feel confident to share half a thought with God, a cry of the heart with no words, or just peacefully watching television with him as well as long involved conversations, they'll have the gift that the disciples had. Jesus did say to his disciples at this point, and when he was beginning to talk about the Lord's Prayer, when they said, you know, teach us about prayer, Jesus did say, you know, when you pray, don't babble like the pagans. And and some people can think that means, well, we shouldn't use a lot of words. We shouldn't waste our words. We shouldn't take up God's time because he doesn't want us to babble like the pagans. But the reason Jesus said that, as we see later in that same verse, was because the people who babbled like the pagans was those people thought they could charm God with their fancy words or with the sacrifice of their effort in using all those words or to even look impressive to those around them. Jesus was saying that prayer isn't about manipulating God or about looking holy to anyone else, including uh, including to parents. Getting our kids to pray isn't about them praying out loud so that we can hear them praying, our kids can sometimes feel like they're performing for us when we when we make that a significant part of their prayer life. Um, but if we give them the gift of their own personal connection with God without us listening, then when we do pray together in a corporate environment where they pray out loud, it's, it's an expression of what's already inside of them rather than their first step in praying. Uh, his example was saying that prayer is simple. His example was the Lord's Prayer, a simple expression to God as a loving, involved father with no pressure to say the right things or look fancy to God or to people, a simple connection to God in love to express our heart, be vulnerable with God and ask what we need, you know, chatting about the real life stuff. So there you go. It's a little bit more of a deep dive theologically into chat. If you want to explore how to introduce this to your kids or what it looks like in daily life, head to parentingforfaith.org website and type into the search bar chat. Our key tool summary will come up as well as a whole session on the Parenting for Faith course website, stories of this and everyday life, loads of resources. If you join in our Facebook to uh, Parenting for Faith BRF, we recently released a resource that has a hundred things to chat about with God to help you as you facilitate your kids sharing their heart with God. So, you know, be released. Talk to God about whatever you want and uh, help your kids do that too. questions section. We love your questions. Thank you for sending your questions in. Please, please continue to send your questions in. Just go to our website, parentingforfaith.org. Go to contact us and share with us whatever question uh, you want to share and uh, we'll wade in the best we can. As usual, this is just my opinion. You are the expert in your kids. Uh, You know what's right for them. And so I can throw out some ideas, but um, you are the wiser person and God will partner with you to know the right answer. So this is just my humble opinion opinion. Uh, So the question came in uh, for us. Any tips for me? I sit with my two children for bedtime stories. They choose a story each and I choose a Bible story, which I read last. The youngest started wriggling when I get to the Bible story and trying to get away because he doesn't want to listen to quote unquote my choice. I make him stay. I would if it wasn't a Bible story too, since it's good manners, but it does rankle a bit and I don't want him to grow up resenting reading the Bible. First of all, I totally applaud the use of the word rankle. That made me so happy when I read it. Because I thought, I don't think I've ever read the word rankle. But I love that word. So thank you for bringing that into my life. I totally get 
what you're feeling. It can be hard when it feels um, that our kids don't value the Bible. And when we're reading it, we're thinking, oh, should I be forcing them to hear this? And I, it feel, But you want them to, because it's good for their soul. It's very hard. I completely understand. Um, one thing I want to say, um, I don't think I'll very be very popular for saying this, but um, most kids' books are so targeted to children's brains and to how their brains think and to what they love and what they find interesting and with all the the illustrations and everything that a Bible story next to it can often uh, jar as being not as good as the other kids' stories. And that's okay because it's hard for the Jesus's parable of the sower to, you know, compare to the Gruffalo. Uh, they're just different. They're for different purposes. The Bible's never meant, it wasn't written to be the best children's book ever. Uh, it is a wonderful, engaging book of God and life and truth with some cracking stories in it that changes, you know, everything about life and us and the world. But side by side, for some kids, it can be hard. And so then sometimes we go down the, how can I find the best uh Bible storybook in the world, which can sometimes be useful. Um, but sometimes uh, you just may need to make a bit of an adjustment so that it's not um, placed in the category of let's listen to children's stories. You may just need to remove it to a different subset so that you're not setting them up next to each other. Um, so one, I'm wondering if a simple switch around of order might work. So if you start with their Bible story, um, one, it means you're sort of easing into stories. You can start off with a gentle sort of truth story about the Bible you can talk about. We always, you know, we love stories. Let's start with one about truth and who God is. And then we can ease into other funny stories that aren't real. And this one, so you can, you can sort of start off with something that gets us eased in. Um, also, if you start with it, their ability to control their bodies is at its peak, just from a sheer discipline point of view. So uh, they're like, yay, story time. And you start off when they're most settled. And so if they're going to get wiggly they'll get wiggly at somebody else's book and not the bible you can always do that um it can also be that there's just three stories is too many and therefore um you can always talk about how we listen to each other's stories and we'll start off with mine and if you're too wiggly in the third one we can always stop and that third one can always be theirs i mean you can sort of do all sorts of um, ones that, but you might just want to switch it to be the first one the last one that may actually just get rid of your wiggly problem um you could also change around uh, whose job it is to pick the Bible story. Maybe your wandering child can be in charge of picking the Bible story they want to hear at night. Or everyone can take turns choosing the Bible story. So rather than the Bible being your choice, it being a thing that you do, it's actually something that we do as a family. And so everybody picks that story. And you can say why you pick that story. So it's not just picking a random story from the Bible. But I wanted to hear this story because ooh, I've never heard of it before. Or I wanted to pick this story because I like how they're brave or you could say the because and that might be an interesting way of applying or at least stating that actual Bible stories are relevant to everyday life. Um, you could also try swapping the Bible to a different time of day. So taking it out of the category of stories we read for entertainment, um, which for many families works really well, that they're the sort of stories that embed in during story time. But if that isn't happening with your family, you might want to peel that off and, um, and do it at a different time of day. There's no biblical principle that says bedtime stories must include the Bible. Uh, you could read it in the morning before breakfast or part of the after school calm down. Uh, it, it can be any other time um, to do. And so um, feel free to just explore that. Um, but I... 
I completely understand the pressure. It's happened to me lots of times. It's happened to almost every family I know. And it's just about finding what that that next step is. Um, because if you're sensing that that they're they're resenting, I don't think that it is inevitable that that means if you discipline them to listen, they're going to resent the Bible. But if that's something that you're sensing, you're feeling, you knowing your kid and saying, oh, this maybe will do it, then just adjust it. You got this. Um, the, the underlying value is that you want your kid to engage with the Bible and have it bless them. And there are a thousand different ways of doing that. So feel free to get off the wave of whatever is is not working or change the order so that it sets them up to success or try something different. Um, But there's always a next step. There's always a next step. Uh, Keep us updated. I'd love to hear how it's going and what you're trying uh, so that we can learn from you. Uh, But in the meantime, you got this. wise people. And boy, do we love our friend Fuzz. Uh, She has some great insight into trust and uh, Anna chatted with her. So uh, here is their conversation. I'm chatting to Fuzz Dix, who wears a lot of different hats. Fuzz, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you and what you do. Uh, My husband, Ed, and I lead a small Anglican church on the Isle of Dogs um, on a council estate in the east end of London, where I am the children and families pastor. We have four sons of our own who are aged between 8 and 16, and we're foster parents as well, although currently in between placements. Um, And I also work part-time for a charity called Kids Matter, whose vision is that every child in need um, gets to be raised in a a thriving, flourishing household. And um, we aim to do that through equipping families, particularly in disadvantaged communities, with parenting skills and tools um, through the local church. And I'd love to start by asking you, how can we build trust with the children that we parent or minister to? I think trust is a really key element of every relationship. And as Christians, we I think we spend our lives learning more and more how trustworthy God is and how untrustworthy we as, as broken, fallen humans are. And... Um, But I think giving the children that we parent, whether it's our birth children or children that we're fostering or have adopted, um, or children that we minister to in our communities through our churches, giving them an opportunity to trust us um, is is really important. But it's difficult to do, isn't it? Because we're flawed and we make mistakes as well. Um, And I think particularly for children that have come from difficult backgrounds, Trust is is something that they don't sit well with. It's a bit like um, when we talk about the love languages with our children and trying to invest in filling up our children's love tanks. When we're when we're parenting or ministering to children that have come from from challenging backgrounds, it's like their own love tanks are, are cracked and leaky and can't hold or can't quite believe um, the consistency of of love that we want to give them. Um, And the same is true of trust. They can find it incredibly difficult to trust us. And that that can be really sad because trust is such a foundational element of of any relationship. And we long for the children around us to to trust God as their father. But I think often that can start with us showing that that we're trustworthy too. Um, And it's, it's really hard to do, but I think... One of the things we've been learning through making tons of mistakes is that um, uh, that God asks us to be available. He doesn't ask us to be perfect and get it right all the time. He asks us to to be 
to be available and to be consistent with, you know, with the help and the power of his spirit. And then for him to come and be the one that works in us and through us and starts building relationships. What about helping them trust God as their father? We know for all sorts of reasons that can be tricky for some children. As we begin to develop trust with, you know, with the children that we're ministering to as a church, with children that we're fostering, and obviously with our birth children as well, um, we want a lifetime, a lifelong bank of trust with our birth children, but we make mistakes with them as well, don't we? And I think a lot of how they learn to trust God as their father is by watching us trust God as our father as well and being able to to talk about our mistakes, being able to say sorry to our kids when we get things wrong, not to cover stuff over and pretend it was okay. Because I think, yeah, and certainly through our fostering experiences, I would say that um, children from from traumatised backgrounds expect us to cover our mistakes and pretend nothing's happened and, and create a sort of false construct about who we are and pretend things are okay when they're not. And so actually stripping that away and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable um, and, and saying sorry when we make mistakes and acknowledging our own need for God's intervention in our lives is, is healthy for us for a start, but also sets our kids up with an example of how to grow in their own relationship with God, to know that they don't have to come to him perfect and not making mistakes and hiding when they do wrong stuff in case they get told off and shouted at. But actually to know that just the wonderful mercy and grace and welcome of God as their father. Um, I think, I mean, we, thanks to Running Kids Matter, we do get loads of our local kids. The parents that come to Kids Matter will often then trust us enough to send their children to our holiday clubs. And a lot of our community are um, from Bangladesh. They're Muslim believers. Um, and yet, because they have built trust with us there, they send their kids into church to hear the gospel, you know, in the school holidays, which is such a privilege and joy for us. And what I love is sharing stories of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, with groups of children that have never heard about him from a Christian before. They might have heard about him from their own parents or their own religious leaders or from RE lessons in school. But to to speak as a Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christian and see the look on children's faces when they see that I believe it's true that he calms the storm and he healed the blind man and he calls children to himself. And to see the the joy and the just the most natural overflowing response of gratitude that comes from their hearts um, is such a privilege. And I think I know that we then have often have to send them back home into homes which are still chaotic and still challenging and still um, painful for them to live in. But to be able to plant those seeds of of trust in in who God is um, through making ourselves available. Um, with all our flaws, um, it is a privilege and it's a real joy for sure. That's so helpful. Thank you. Um, And just finally, when we're parenting or ministering to children with complex needs or challenging backgrounds, it can feel really overwhelming. Um, You obviously have loads of experience of that. How do you approach that? So when we're parenting children with additional needs or, or fostering or ministering to children from challenging backgrounds which will inevitably lead to additional needs as well um it can feel really overwhelming and it can often I've certainly as a foster carer often felt like I don't have enough 
for this. I'm trying my hardest and I'm running out of patience, of kindness, um, of even emotional capacity to hold, you know, knowing what their backgrounds are and knowing what their stories are. And um, I've definitely been caught out thinking, I need to fix this. I need to, I need to solve this all in one go. Um, and I think, again, this is just where doing it with the Lord is all the difference. Um, when we kind of are prepared to take the passenger seat and let Jesus be the one that drives us on these, these crazy adventure journeys, um, there's, there's a real sense of relief in realising, again, just saying I'm, I'm available to care and to, to love this child with the love of God, but I'm not the one. I'm not the one they need. I'm not the one that's, that's fixing them and picking them up and putting them back together. I'm, you know, I might be the physical hands that are feeding them and, and caring for them, but it's only, the, it's only the love of God that can reach deep enough into their hearts and their minds and their souls to, to do the work that they need and of course we you know we need all the professional help and support um and, and children from challenging and traumatized backgrounds do as well but it's um I think it's that it's that fine it's that balance of feeling called to whether it's parenting um our, our own birth children or fostering or working with with kids in our community if we're if we're in those situations because we believe God has put us there then there's, I think there's a real beauty in the obedience of staying there um, and also in, in sort of being the ones that say, we can't do this, Lord, we, we really need you to do this with us. And I think um, being well supported, having people around us that, that understand what it's like, that are our cheerleaders and our champions and the ones that bring us chocolate at nine o'clock at night or do things that pick us up and help us keep going, um, we love it when God puts that around us as well. And so being wise in who we surround ourselves with and allow ourselves to be encouraged by, um, that's definitely helped us to keep going. Um, but I think, again, it's, it well, and, you know, particularly at the moment, we're in a, a, a unique, unprecedented global situation, which if we really stopped and think, thought about it, we'd all feel overwhelmed. Um, but again, it's trusting the Lord for daily bread and daily mercies and not, not I'm, I'm a real big picture planner. I love to anticipate. I love to know the steps ahead. And, and actually fostering has been a great way for me to have all that taken away and just remember it's, it's day by day, it's step by step. And same with the, with the COVID-19 crisis. It's just day by day and it's step by step. And that's all God asks us to do is to trust him for the next day and the next day, and the next day, just one more day, and to see his faithfulness, to see how he shows up and provides for us and loves us and cares for us in these times. And a question to start an interesting conversation with your child this week is this. If you could have a relationship with God, like someone in the Bible had with God, whose relationship with God in the Bible would you pick and why? may not have said that perfectly, but you know what I'm saying. If you look at all the people in the Bible, they all have different kinds of relationships with God. Which one do you like best? Which one would you like most in your life and why? I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. 
A new episode will be released next week, and why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you. Music